Today is Inbox Zero Day, a time to find new ways to process the information that comes to us via email each and every day. I am currently at 347. What are you at? I do hope each edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement that comes to you through email is welcome and is worth the time to read. I'll also take this moment to say there is a Substack app that is worth checking out if you'd like to experience this experience in a different way. Either way, I'm Sean Tubbs, and this is the beginning of the program. On today's show, the University of Virginia complies with federal law by releasing its annual report on crime statistics. Riverbend Development answers questions about a new site plan for the redevelopment of the former Kmart Plaza. The local food hub gets a federal grant for innovative new programs, and the Albemarle Planning Commission discusses what should be in the draft framework for an equitable and resilient community to guide development of the new comprehensive plan. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society continues its speaker series with a discussion on teaching hard history with Hashim Davis. Mr. Davis is a native of Brooklyn, New York, who teaches high school history at Albemarle High School. Davis has received numerous fellowships and other honors for his efforts to fight anti-Semitism and racism by bringing stories of Holocaust victims and survivors into the classroom. His efforts have been noted by Virginia Public Media, NBC29, The Daily Progress, CBS19, and the Lynchburg News in advance. Davis will be speaking with the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society about the current challenges and opportunities of teaching hard histories. The program will be in person at the Northside Library on October 13th at 6.30 p.m., or you can catch the event on Facebook Live. The University of Virginia has published an annual report that takes a look at crime on central grounds, as well as its satellite locations across the Commonwealth. The 2022 Annual Fire Safety and Security Report covers the activities and statistics compiled by the University of Virginia Department of Safety and Security. That includes the UVA Police Department with its 170 employees. Here's a description from page 11 of the report. UPD participates in a mutual aid agreement with other local departments and a cooperative patrol agreement with the city of Charlottesville, which gives university officers jurisdiction in much of the city area surrounding the university. The mutual aid agreements do not apply to the investigation of most criminal cases as UPD provides the full range of police services. UVA is compelled to provide the report due to the federal Jean Clary Disclosure of Campus Security Policy and Campus Crime Statistics Act, or Cleary Act. This was signed into law in 1990 after the 1986 rape and murder of a student who was killed in her residence hall at Lehigh University. At the Charlottesville campus in 2021, there were 15 reported incidents of rape, with 11 of those on campus and four off campus. There were 42 stalking incidents reported, 19 motor vehicle thefts, 12 burglaries, and 13 aggravated assaults. There were also four hate crimes reported and investigated. For the full details, take a look at the report. The disclosures begin on page 82. Thanks to the Cavalier Daily's Notes from Newcomb for notifying me of this report in their morning newsletter. Take a look at the full story from Emily Horn and Allison Metcalf in the Cavalier Daily. 
The city of Charlottesville is reviewing a private company's latest plans for redevelopment of the Kmart Plaza, though few new details emerged at a site plan conference last month. Ashley Davies is vice president of Riverbend Development. This is a site, a site that we um, previously um, have taken a site plan through the city for a slightly different design. Riverbend Development also developed the Whole Foods nearby. In addition to the Kmart, the site used to have a Gold's Gym franchise. The Kmart closed in the summer of 2017, according to the Daily Progress. A movie theater called the Terrace Triple Theater used to stand on what is now Hillsdale Drive Extended. The site consists of 10 acres and takes up a big chunk of the northeast quadrant of the intersection of US-29 and Hydraulic Road. In addition to the redevelopment of the existing building, the site plan shows two proposed new buildings along US-29, with space for two additional buildings lining the entrance to Hydraulic Road in a second phase. The plan uh, maintains the same basic uh, ingress and egress to the site. Uh, there's kind of three components. Uh, component one is uh, making some changes to the existing building that's there so we can accommodate three new tenants on the site. Component two includes the buildings along US-29. One would be for a bank and the other in the corner would be for a fast casual restaurant with a drive through window. Component three would be the two new buildings in phase two. A separate application for a special use permit for that drive through window is also making its way through the Department of Neighborhood Development Services. The Planning Commission will see that application at its meeting in November. The site plan shows left-hand turn movements from Hydraulic Road onto southbound US-29, but that turn movement is expected to be eliminated as part of a funded smart-scale project that is in the design review process. That project also included a pedestrian bridge across US-29 at Zan Road. City Councilor Michael Payne said he was disappointed that no housing is proposed as part of the development. Alan Taylor of Riverbend said the company does not own the property, but only has a long-term ground lease. It just makes it really, really difficult to do anything on the site aside from basically ground leases, because if you're building buildings and all that, that stuff, it just it, the, the economics just don't support um, making those kinds of decisions. So it's unfortunate, and I agree, because that's what it probably wants to be. But just based on the structure, it, it makes it really difficult for us to achieve that, that end goal. Payne said the city council would be willing to work with the developer to work towards that goal. Nearby, Great Eastern Management Company has submitted plans to redevelop the former giant store in Seminole Square Shopping Center with about 350 units of housing. That site plan conference was held in March. Names of potential tenants were not disclosed at the site plan meeting, but Taylor ruled out one retailer. It might have maybe been a target in the past, but it is no longer a target. And we're not allowed to talk about who the tenants are because they just don't want to have that out there until things start. But target, if they were involved, is no longer involved. The next public step for the project will be a public hearing for that special use permit. Riverbend Development is currently responding to a comment letter sent out by staff late last month. An organization that seeks to promote the local food economy across Virginia has been awarded $67,810 for three of its programs. 
The funding for the local food hub comes from the United States Department of Agriculture's Specialty Crop Block Grant Program. Here's a section from the public notice of the award. The Virginia Black Farmer Directory will build new bridges to market access for underserved farms. The Grower Buyer Expo will help farmers and purchases emerge from the pandemic by connecting face-to-face -face once again. The local food hub is also creating an app to help farmers keep records to help comply with food safety regulations. In all, the Virginia Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services received $614,225.38 for projects. Virginia Tech and the University of Virginia will share $75,000 for research into a spray to help fight blight cankers. Virginia Tech will also get nearly $65,000 for research into pumpkins. Here's a section from the award announcement. Pumpkins are an important crop in the Commonwealth of Virginia, with a value of $17.6 produced on 5,500 acres in 2020. For the full list of grants made across the nation, check out the USDA announcement. Know anyone interested in the future of farming? It is an interesting list filled with useful information. Take a look at the whole thing. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. And in this second subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes believes that bicycles can be a means to social change, addressing issues of equity, access, and inclusion. They provide free bikes to adults who need one and have a special program that provides free bikes to children. Their mobile bike repair clinics continue October 20th with a stop from 3.30 p.m. to 5 p.m. at South 1st Street with Region 10. Want to learn more or support their work? Charlottesville Community Bikes currently is seeking matching funds for a grant from the OutRide Fund. Visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, as I said, and now it's time for a long conversation about the Comprehensive Plan in Albemarle County. Virginia law assigns a locality's planning commission the primary responsibility for creating and maintaining a comprehensive plan, but many communities hire consultants to help with the heavy lifting. Charlottesville hired Roadside and Harwell to complete the city's plan after the planning commission got bogged down after two years. Nelson County has hired the Berkeley Group to help review their comprehensive plan. Albemarle's current comprehensive plan update is being managed by staff, with assistance from the firm EPR. The Planning Commission got a check-in at their meeting on September 27th that served as their most extensive conversation on the plan review in several months. They had previously been briefed in late July on several options to proceed with alterations to the growth management plan. Here's Tori Canalopoulos, an Albemarle County planner. Throughout the AC44 process, we are using two main lenses to guide our work, which are equity and climate action. The first topic was a review of something called the Framework for an Equitable and Resilient Community. That was put together after a series of public comment periods and roundtables over the summer. Additionally, the framework was developed based on the input from community members, the AC44 Working Group, and the Planning Commission, as well as a review of goals in the current comprehensive plan and research of best practices. The Board of Supervisors will be presented with the draft framework at a work session on October 19th. 
Another study underway is an analysis of how much available land remains for development in the current growth area boundaries. And as a reminder, the purpose of the build-out is to understand the maximum theoretical build-out potential based on land use designations of our current development areas and consider if the maximum potential build-out is sufficient to accommodate projected growth and demand in the next 20 years. Also feeding into the framework is input received at a series of community roundtables held last month. Canalopolis summarized some of what was heard on the topic of housing. There's a need for housing that is affordable to people employed in Albemarle County who also want to live here. Community members should be able to age in place and have housing accessible to all abilities. Housing needs the infrastructure to support it. And there's a concern that many community members who want to live in Albemarle County continue to move away and are unable to afford to stay or return to the county. Vlad Gavrilovich with the firm EPR went next to explain the draft framework and how it will help to get the concept of equity into the next comprehensive plan. Really, this framework is a bridge. It bridges phase one and phase two of the comprehensive plan document. Phase one is about growth management uh, and incorporating the direction from the board that we've received. And phase two is about turning that input from the community into a policy direction for all the different chapters of the plan. There are four themes in the framework. Their titles are a green and resilient community, a welcoming and equitable community, thriving and prosperous community, and another is a connected and accessible community. What we heard is there's a real desire to have better connections throughout the county, especially walking, biking, and transit. Uh, It relates to this theme that we heard also being able to age in place, having uh, transportation options, for all ages and abilities. The Albemarle Planning Commissions were asked whether they thought this framework was worth pursuing, what's missing, and whether they thought it was ready to forward to the Board of Supervisors. Our first comment in this story comes from Luis Carrizana, the at-large member of the Planning Commission. He said it was not too early in a high-level discussion to talk about metrics. I don't see where, where, we, where we've looked at um, strategies to measure success or to measure how we're doing it with some of these goals. So how do we measure looking back, right? 20, so eight years ago, what is, what are we doing well? And maybe we need to just do more of it, right? If we're doing it well, but we need to improve. And what are we not doing well? And perhaps what we need is a different strategy. For instance, Carazana pointed out a statistic in the build-out analysis that projects in development areas are only being filled in at 58% of their potential capacity. So that's an important measure. There's a lot of these areas that we can do similar type measures that will help us identify uh, our strategies in the future because maybe we shouldn't just keep trying to do the same thing over and over again. Carazana said the document could also use examples of what has worked, such as successful mixed-use communities. He also said the document should point out potential conflicts, but does not necessarily have to reconcile them. I mean, there are some things that we're not doing very well at all, and housing is one of them, and transit is another. Commissioner Julian Biven said he is concerned that the plan could end up being useless as a force to guide the future if it attempts to please all stakeholders. The intimate, um, well, I say conflict of us holding on to this rural community versus this hopefully dynamic development area is is a how we move through that successfully 
and in an, in an important way, which I think the, the sort of the overlying pieces of this are, will in fact be a huge sort of magic trick, in my, in my opinion, in my, in my mind. Simply because when I've heard discussions around similarly typed things in our community, um, we ne- we always come to a to a negotiated out, which is which no one wins. Commissioner Lonnie Murray introduced a concept he felt was missing from the framework. Um, one of the things I would encourage is I think we need to look at a concept of of ecological density, um, encouraging ecolog- ecological density, particularly in our growth areas. To do more with less in terms of um, ecological services. Murray pointed to the example of the Dell Stormwater Pond on Emmett Street at the University of Virginia as an example of a place that is able to provide habitat to species. For those unfamiliar, the Dell is a, an example of a daylighted stream. Prior to this daylighting, it was really kind of a wasted field of grass. Um, and um, you know, once they, they took the stream, they brought it to the surface, they planted it with 100% native plants. Um, they, they put it in a nice pond. Um, There's an attractive feature for the community. The community likes to go to the pond and walk around it. The Dell is also adjacent to the new University of Virginia Contemplative Commons Center, which is currently under construction on the site of a former parking lot. Bivens took issue with the following sentence under the heading Green and Resilient Community. As part of the commitment to resilience, the county has encouraged sustainable and regenerative agricultural practices, and these have in turn been supported through a robust local food system, making abundant healthy food choices available locally. Bivens said he did not think that was accurate because very little food is produced in Albemarle, but instead there are lots of boutique farms. As exciting and as good as that language is, it is not going to happen. And I say, you know, I use strong words, that's just how I operate. So I went and looked at the census, the, the 2017 census, but um, agriculture was put out by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And Albemarle County is 1% of the Commonwealth's agricultural business, 1%. The next census of agriculture will take place this winter, with data being released in the summer of 2024. Commissioner Karen Firehawk also thought the language needed a reality check. The more I read of this entire document, the more I'm like, this is a wonderful fantasy place that I would love to visit one day. Um, but I just, I just, I just, it was, it was almost like too much, and I'd rather us sound a little more humble. <laughs> Uh, you know, like we aspire to utilize local food. Firehawk also had this overarching observation. The county is creating a city around a city with our urban ring, mm-hmm. right? And, and we're struggling because it was a suburban development pattern and then we're trying to like make it into an urban one. And yet, like in our attorney, we lack the powers that, uh, that our, na- our neighbor has right here um, because we are not a city. Biven said he would like to see more economic activity in some sections of the rural area. I think there's some role for crossroad communities. I think there's some roles in reinvigorating ESMA. I think there's some roles in reinvigorating the path that used to go that was a highly enlivened from Scottsville to Stanley. Bivens referred to a 19th century turnpike that used to connect those two communities. There is a paper written in 1975 that's worth reviewing for anyone interested in the concept and the history.
Now, if you are in this story, and if you think you might have been misquoted, I do want to let everybody know that there is a link to the entire session, and you can watch it and see if I did. I struggle and strive to not misquote people and to try to do my best to be accurate in everything I report. That's why I'm so consistent in trying to make sure that everybody knows you can listen to all of this if you like. And I feel there should be more reporting on these topics. If you think I have misquoted you, please drop me a line and let me know because we can make a clarification and we can have a conversation. It is never my intent to get anything wrong, but it does sometimes happen. But that's the end of this program and another episode down. How many more to go? That number depends on whether I can continue to rely on one quarter of the audience for paid subscriptions through Substack or through Patreon or through other means of revenue. There is a market for the work of this newsletter, and I sincerely appreciate the people who have paid so many people can take a listen or read it. I also still have several dozen complimentary paid subscriptions to hand out to people under the age of 25. If you know someone below the age of 25 who you think would be interested in getting to know the finer details of local and regional government, drop me a line and I'll give them a complimentary paid subscription. And if you do sign up for a paid subscription through Substack, Ting will match your initial payment which certainly increases the likelihood we'll all make the journey to 880 and perhaps beyond. The ultimate goal is to surpass the number of episodes of Comedy Bang Bang. And if you sign up for Ting through a link in the newsletter, what are you gonna get? You're gonna get a free standard installation, your second month for free, and a $75 downtown mall gift card. Enter the promo code COMMUNITY to get those benefits. Thank you to Ting. Musical interstitials in the podcast version come from Vraki. The album Regret Everything is available on Bandcamp, and you can pay what you want. I recommend him, and please tell him that Barry Fitztravelis is still missing. Finally today, if you want more writing about local government, do check out the companion newsletter, 5th District Community Engagement. No matter who is the representative to Congress's lower house for the 5th, there are 24 localities that make up the new district, and that newsletter seeks to better get to know what's up at meetings of local elected officials. I'm Sean Tubbs. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back in the near future with another episode when, uh, I don't know, you know, hopefully tomorrow, but it could be the weekend. It's a really strange week with lots of changes and uh, all that. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.